hello, and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Lori, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your ment- mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, and shedding those limiting beliefs and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Joe Partavila. Joe has produced over 10,000 hours of audio content over the course of his career in both podcasting and terrestrial radio. He is the author of the new book, Good Listen, where he shares insights and knowledge for creating memorable conversations. Currently, he is the director of podcasts for Forbes Books in Charleston, South Carolina. Joe is really different than most of the guests on the Holistic Fitness Podcast. However, from listening to clients, followers, and guests, clear communication and social health is such an important factor to your overall health and holistic fitness. Seeing as Joe has spent decades literally communicating, I thought that he'd bring a really interesting angle to how you can improve your life and relationships. In this episode, we speak about how curiosity leads to the discovery of any habit, why asking lots of questions is the key to building great relationships, and why listening is the most important skill that anyone can master. We also chat about the importance of self-awareness, and I can't wait to tune in with all of you. How are you going this evening, Joe? I'm excellent, Laurie. How are you? I am wonderful. It's been really awesome to chat to you. Uh, being in both in the same state is wonderful because we're on the same time zone. We're vibing. It's a great time. Absolutely. And plus, you know, everyone can tell from your accent that you're from South Carolina. So it's, uh, it's very obvious that you spent yeah. a lot of time down here. Yeah, I actually learned how to speak in a, in a half Texan, half Hawaiian accent. <laughs> so it's surprising that my accent is so South Carolinian. Oh, spot on. <laughs> awesome. You know, you are quite remarkable. And I loved looking into all of your radio experience you've had. You've also written a book on listening and you speak a lot, a lot about, you know, asking great questions and building relationships. And I felt as though that level of self-awareness and also how to build awesome relationships would be helpful for the listeners on the Holistic fitness podcast. But I have a really strong belief if anyone gets into one of these fields where we're really looking to help someone, there's always a backstory. Mm. Can you tell me the context of your life that I would need to know to understand why you help people in this way today? Yeah. Well, so I've been always as a child was fascinated by television and interview shows. Like my hero growing up was David Letterman. Um, So whereas most kids were having like posters of football players and baseball stars. I had like a TV talk show host picture on my wall. Um, So I always loved the idea of communicating, talking with celebrities, just having random conversations with folks. And as I got older and I was like, well, how can I make this into a career? Uh, I went to a a state school in New Jersey and they had this weird thing. When you walk in and they have a TV studio at the time, really high tech, state of the art, And then they had a radio station, high tech, state of the art. And I walk into the TV studio and I say, hey, I want to be on TV. And they're like, are you a freshman? I'm like, yeah, freshmen don't go on TV. I'm like, all right. So I walk down the hall to the radio station and I say, hey, uh, can I be on the radio? And they're like, what time do you want to go on? And so that was sort of my low barrier of entry into the world of radio. And from there, I just fell in love with the medium in a way that I thought, wow, I could make a career out of this. And what I ended up doing was I, for some reason, had the wherewithal as a like a 19-year-old kid to be, hey, 
let me see if I can get an internship at one of these radio stations in New York and see if I enjoy this as a career or, or see it as a career. And because I kept seeing the mistake of people waiting for like their senior year or, or junior year to, to college to get an internship and see whether it's something that they would like to do. And then I've seen this movie many times where people will go and they'll almost finish school, get this internship and be like, oh my God, why did I go to school for four years for this? I don't want to do this as a career. But for some reason, I had the wherewithal to do it. I took this internship at this radio station in New York called WPLJ. It was there for 40 something years. And I only took the internship, Lori, because it was located in Penn Station in the middle of Manhattan, centrally located. So a kid from New Jersey was afraid to going into the big bad city all by himself would could be able to take one train ride in and then be safely at the radio station in about 20 minutes. Needless to say, that decision ended up leading me to having a 24-year career at that same radio station because I was scared shitless of taking the subway in New York City. Worked my way up from an intern all the way to a morning show co-host and executive producer. And during that time, I just what I didn't realize was I wasn't self-aware, that I didn't realize that a lot of skills that I was acquiring by being on the air 20 hours a week doing live radio that I was able to accumulate and, and hone. And then after it was finished, I realized that most people don't have these skills. So mm. to give a context, in 2019, my radio station was sold to a Christian broadcaster. And so I like to joke, I was fired by Jesus. And <laughs> uh, they blew up the radio station. PLJ was gone. It became this Christian rock station. And then I sort of pivoted to doing podcasting full-time where I started consulting entrepreneurs on how to be podcasters. And again, all the skills that I had learned, all these people didn't. They were people uh, connectors. They were building buildings. They were building businesses. They were entrepreneurs. They had MBAs, but they didn't know how to communicate with other people or host a podcast. And I, as I mentioned, was self-aware of the fact that I had this skill set that most don't. And that's how I came into writing the book because I had all these lessons to share with these folks. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if folks who couldn't afford our services or folks who didn't have the ability to invest money into doing a podcast, whether I could help those folks or just in general, help, help people communicate. And that's where the book came about. Mm, I love that. And that's such an interesting story as well. And you're really unique compared to a lot of guests that we have on the podcast. And I love your... Because a lot of people that come on the podcast are into nutrition or fitness or, you know, we've had hypnotherapists. And what I was really intrigued by you is how to ask great questions mm. and how to actively listen because a lot of people don't have that skill. It's not something we're taught in school. It's it's one of those things that's harder to kind of look up online. I, I mean, like some people probably read How to Win Friends and Influence yes. People. That's a really great book, but it's not something we really get into. Can you share, you know, from your experience, what are some of the main issues that people interface with when it comes to communication? Yeah, I think sadly, one of the things that get drilled to us at a very early age, and you might have been like this, Lori, too, that when you ask so many questions, your parents eventually like, can you shut up and stop asking questions? Mm. And that gets sort of drilled into a lot of young people because they because they're so curious when you're younger. And that curiosity gets hammered out of us for some reason. Mm. And that over time develops into I don't want to say like a shyness, but almost like a closed naturedness where you don't 
have the ability or, or, or be bold enough to ask questions. And what that does is it creates silos and these tribes of people that don't communicate with those people because they only want to communicate with people that look and sound and say the same things that they do. And so, and, and speaking from a holistic point of view, if you really can't be your best self, unless you decide to push yourself to different boundaries, to be curious about what other experiences are like, whether it is exercise, whether it's it's taking care of your mental health. If you're not curious about those things, you're never going to be the better version of you if you stay in this one way. And the be- and the reason and the way we all do it and become better at it is we ask questions. And that's one of the things that's super important for people, whether you're a podcaster or just a human being, just asking questions can lead to so many different revelations and connections with people that I feel like a lot of us are just losing out on. Mm, yeah, I absolutely connect with that, especially the how we're conditioned to stop asking questions because it's annoying. And I still feel that as an adult, you know, sometimes asking questions can be a pain in the bloody ass for people because then they're like, oh, now I need to go to the cognitive effort of answering <laughs> you when actually like instead of making a statement, diving into why I said that statement. And yeah. I, I feel like uh, asking questions still uh, can be annoying in some ways. So it does take being bold to do it. How can people listening now, the way I look at this when it comes to fitness is I give people frameworks rather than telling people Mm. what they should do in terms of stress management, movement, and in terms of nutrition. Because if I give somebody a specific plan, what works for me may not work for them. If someone's approaching fitness or stress management, what are some frameworks you would give to get them to ask really good questions? Yeah, and one of the things that uh, that kind of drove my career and something that when I was in my radio studio in New York, uh, my boss held this little sign up. It was on a white piece of regular papers printed on like 48 point uh, aerial font. And it said, preparation, concentration, and moderation. And this is, uh, and what fits this is the preparation piece. Whenever you go into anything, you want to be prepared. How are you prepared? By researching, by digging up information, and then preparing yourself for anything that's going to come down the pike. So if you are passionate or curious about something, the only way to do it is to investigate it. And so being prepared, finding out as much as you can about it, instead of just signing up for a class one day, I'm like, let me see if this is going to be good for me, or let me sign up for a, a training session, if that's great. Look into it, research it, find out what it really is about so you don't go in blind. Go in with some sort of level of preparedness. You're not going to be MBA quality or you're going to be an expert in that field, but just having a, a grain of information in your back pocket to sort of Break down those walls of being afraid of being intimidated by something. If you just know a little information, it's like if you watch a horror movie and if you know the scary part's coming, it's not scary. So Mm -hmm. if you're able to research these elements that could be scary or intimidating to you, they're no longer that scary and intimidating to you. Yeah, for sure. When does research become... I'm thinking about this like... There's IQ, intellectual quotient, and then there's EQ, emotional quotient. Mm. I heard of this new one and it was like execution quotient. Hmm. When did like the research become so like overwhelming that people aren't actually like executing on that sort of stuff that they're researching? Absolutely. I mean, there is that phrase, you know, uh, analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis. I don't know which way it goes. But yes, (laughs) you can do too much of that, Lori. And I think just over time, you get, to what you need to have enough of. Like, I'm sure for this example, for this podcast, Lori, 
I'm sure you didn't do a 24-hour deep dive on my background or anything like that. You probably picked out a couple stories and you you looked up some things I wrote or did, and that was about it. And I think people can take that for anything in life, whether it is just, you know, looking someone up. You know, a lot of people in the, uh, uh, I don't date anymore, I'm happily married, but like, as you know, when you meet someone, you're going to Google them. So mm. why not just Google people for everything? Whether it's, you know, for relationships, whether it's jobs, whether it's trying to find a new activity, just you could always find information about people. And I think just having just a little bit not only will help you, but it actually kind of shows to the person that you're meeting with that like, oh, wow, this person went out of their way to look mm. up the thing I do or, or what I talk about or what I'm passionate about. I tell people, Google your relatives. Like if you see a relative twice a year at holiday parties and you don't want to really have a conversation with them at that party... Google them, see what they're doing on Facebook. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, hey, I saw that you bought a boat. How's that going? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have something to talk about with someone that you really have nothing to talk about. And so you're putting it all on them to tell you their story about buying a boat. <laughs> I love that. Joe, I think I'm going to have to start Googling my dates. I have never done that. <laughs> no way. <laughs> never. No. Seriously? Like, maybe after date three, I'll check out their um, LinkedIn or their Instagram to see if they are who they say they are. But no, I don't do a Google Wow. Talk. That's a pretty common thing, Lori. <laughs> Very common that people Google. <laughs> and yeah, obviously, they'll look up their social medias while they're doing it. But yeah, that's yeah, a, I know. That's it's a normal. big thing. Yeah. I just thought that was so funny that that was the example that you gave. I'm like, oh, I should Google people now. <laughs> you should, Lori. Just because it, I would feel safer if you did going forward, because I don't know what's going on over there in Greenville, South Carolina. So please go ahead and just research people you're going to meet with, especially if they're strangers. Thanks for the hot tip, Joe. Yeah. Something that piqued my curiosity when you were speaking after the first question that I asked you was when you were younger, you didn't have the self-awareness. Mm. You didn't have the self-awareness that, you know, you were building these communication skills by speaking for 20 hours on air per week. Can you tell me more about your self-awareness journey? Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of that happened later in life, unfortunately. And I just... One And it's so funny, a lot of these things come to me in like in a flash. And I remember when I was going to work one day at the radio station. So our radio station was located on the, build, the building above Madison Square Garden, two blocks away from the Empire State Building. And my hours were incredibly bizarre. I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I would be in the city by 5 a.m., pitch black darkness in the wintertime. Um, and I would walk into this, to the station just day after day, doing the same routine, just going to my car, head down, walking to the building, taking the ele elevator up, getting to work. And then one day, I just, as I was walking across 31st Street, I stopped and I looked up and I said, this is so cool. This is, I'm, my full-time job, I'm being paid to work on a radio station in the middle of New York City Wow. On top of the most famous arena in the history of sports, two mm. blocks away from the iconic Empire State Building. And I just soaked it in. I was like, how did I never just look up? Because as you yeah. probably know, Lori, if you go into New York, the only people that are looking up are tourists. And <laughs> I feel like that's something that we should all kind of carry with us. That like tourist mentality of don't be afraid to look up and, and soak in the sights and just take that moment in. And that's just one brief moment of me just being able to just recognize, I'm like, man, how fortunate I was in that situation. The fact that I worked in this building for over 20 years in a 
medium that is very volatile and people are being hired and fired at a daily clip. And I just had this longevity. And I just, at one point, just recognized, I'm like, I'm really fortunate. And I think a lot of times we need to do that in all of our lives, whether it's, I'm fortunate in this relationship I'm in. I'm fortunate in this job I am. I'm fortunate in this home I have. I'm fortunate I have family. That is just those little basic steps of self-awareness that I think will help you recognize how lucky and how fortunate you are. Mm, I love that. And I love how you mentioned the tourist mentality as well, because my dad lives in New York. And I remember, you know, my brother and I, when I was 12, you know, we were visiting him and we were just looking up yeah, at everything. And he's like, oh, only tourists look up as if yeah. it was like a, oh, you're just a tourist type thing. Yeah. But that sense of gratitude really does build that self-awareness and helps mm. you helps you grow. Can you actually dive into how self-awareness has helped you now now that you're older and been able to use that self-awareness for all the things you've achieved since Yeah, your- and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I you know, going back to our curiosity and talking about be- being curious is we all sort of look ever look at other people the same way and we 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 see them and be like, "Oh, okay, look at that person. That person's a jerk. That you know, why does that person do that? Why does that person say that thing?" And what I take from that is instead of being judgmental of this person, just dial it back a little bit and be like, hey, why does that person do or say those things? And uh, David Foster Wallace gave this amazing commencement speech that I actually mentioned in my book about self-awareness. And it's a fantastic speech. It's called This Is Water. If you've never seen him do it before, it's this really lo-fi college commencement speech. One of these fancy things, just him in front of like a podium giving it. It's called This Is Water. And he talks about how if you're driving down the road and say you're an environmentalist and you're you're very green and you feel like you know people that are driving gas guzzlers are destroying this planet if you're driving down the road and you see one of these gas guzzlers and they cut you off and you're like huh, look at this jerk he doesn't care about the environment that he probably has to fill the gas tank once a day he's doesn't care about the dolphins he doesn't care about the monkeys and all this thing is going to go through your mind but what if you peel that back a little bit and you think about, well, why does that person drive that truck? Maybe that person drives that truck because they had a really bad accident when they were younger and they feel safer in a large vehicle. Or maybe they're a parent and they're really protective of their children and they feel that it's an added layer of protection for their children in this massive truck. Instead, of your if you going to the place of just darkness and judgmentalness to just do that on an everyday basis if you stop the next time you do that just as a practice the next time you're about to be pissed off at somebody whether it's someone you know or a complete stranger ask yourself a question why did that person do that why did that person say that instead of why did that person say that <laughs> it's really it's all in the phrasing not like you know why did that person say that instead of why did that person say that? It's mm. just, it, it, it'll make you feel better about yourself because you'll give people grace. And you're hoping that, you know, I'm a big proponent of the golden rule. I finish every podcast by saying, live by the golden rule. And I'm not, and I'm not very much, very religious person, but treat others as you want to be treated. Mm. And if you do that, I think the universe works in mysterious ways and it pays it back tenfold, I feel. So if you give people that grace, I think people will then give it back to you. Mm. I love that. And that's so powerful as well. And I feel like a lot of our 
dissatisfaction of life and a lot of our energy is being spent on not giving other people grace and complaining about other people. But I truly believe if we walked our entire lives in other people's shoes, we would be making the same decisions. Yes, when you become an adult, there's a certain level of accountability. Yes, you make your own choices. However, you don't know that person's background. So why are we going at it with such harsh harsh judgment? We don't know if they've had the worst day of their lives. Mm. And asking that question and smiling at them maybe exactly what they need to not cut you off in traffic again or or whatever their story is for that day. Yeah, I mean, and I think I get caught in that trap every once in a while too. If someone Mm. cuts me off on the road, I will sometimes do that, but I'm very now self-aware of it that once I start into it, I'm like, Joe, shut up. You know, just stop it. And I, th- I think we all kind of have to do that to ourselves. We all have to tell each our inner model like to shut up every once in a while and just listen. And uh, I think that's just it, it's it's just it's an easier way to live because you're no longer just projecting all of this like kind of animosity and kind of like disgust towards people. If you just give people a break, you know, hopefully one day they'll give you a break. Mm, yeah, definitely. Because some days you do need a break and you're not perfect. And and I feel that, especially in the mornings when I'm just trying to get a coffee, I run into someone, they want to talk to me and I'm like, oh, now's not the best time. Yeah. I just want to be in my little cocoon. <laughs> yeah. And, and unfortunately, that's that's the time when you got to just, you know, as they say, cowboy up and just, yeah. you know, just turn that up. Uh, when I When I consult people, I say, when you're doing a podcast or you're doing a presentation, you have to be yourself, but you have mm. to be yourself at an eleven. And I'm not sure if you remember the Spinal Tap movie where uh, the guitarist had his own amp and he had it specially made so the amp went to 11 because it was that much louder. <laughs> and of course, the joke is, well, why not just make 11 the loudest and make that 10? And it was like, no, because this one goes to 11. And I use that analogy for people when it comes to presenting themselves in public, whether it's a podcast or even just in a meeting, is make make it sure that it's you, but just cranked up just a little bit so that you're like the best possible version of yourself at that moment. Of course, you can't live in 11 all day long, but there's mm-hmm. certain times a day when, you know, Lori's a little cranky and she's getting coffee and the barista screws up her order, just crank up the crank up the knob to about 11 and then all of a sudden everything's going to be good. So, um I think that's a that's it's again one of those things where you keep those little things in mind where if you could just focus in on being the best version of yourself at that moment, it's going to be good for you. Mm, absolutely. And it's choosing when to be an 11 as well, because it's okay yes. to be a seven too. It's yes. absolutely fine to be a seven, but choosing those specific times. I love that. I know something that you do is you help people, you know, obviously with communication. And something that I notice when, especially new fitness clients, they usually have some sort of friction in their relationship, especially Mm. when they're developing a new habit. Because when you're in a partnership, you're developing a new habit and they don't want to come with you. There's going to be friction there. Yeah. You know, and communication is always the key to relationships. I'm still single. So obviously I haven't figured it out (laughs) yet either. You know, I've got a lot of, a lot of friends, a lot of clients that are single as well, or, you know, they break up. So what would you say, say are some of the keys to that sort of open communication in those closest relationships? Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of the things where it's dangerous, but you just kind of have to put your trust in other people. And I know that's how we all get hurt at the end of the day. It's like the people who hurt us are the ones we love the most. Um, mm. So I think you almost have to be prepared 
for that, prepared for that hurt. Uh, it's funny. My wife and I were together for many, many years, had no kids, and we decided to get a puppy uh, last year. And early on, he would get sick, and we didn't know why he was getting sick. And it would make me sick to my stomach that he was sick. And I even said to my wife one day, I'm like, man, it sucks to love something. Like it really yeah. does. Like it, it's, it, you don't think about it, but like as, as great as love is, and they've written plenty of songs and movies about it, but it's really hard because love can hurt you. And just the idea of like having this being that's with us, that we, that loves us unconditionally and we love it unconditionally back. When you see that person sick or the dog in this case, you know, pooping all over the house, it just like, it just hurts you from the inside. And I wouldn't trade the hours of day of enjoyment for that one week that he was sick for nothing. You know, I just, mm. it's, it's a small price to pay to love someone and have them either hurt you than the taking it as a whole, you know, the, the sum greater than its parts. It's uh, so I think when it comes to relationships, I know <laughs> comparing dogs is tough, but I, I'm just saying that loving something and 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 caring about it you can't stop doing that because of the chance of getting hurt or getting into an argument or stuff or something like that because i think all of the other stuff's going to be so much better so that mm. friction that may happen in a relationship sure that one friction but if like 90% of it is just like awesome and it's at the end of the day the person you're looking forward to seeing the most and the person you want to have sit next to you on the couch while you're watching netflix man for that for those little things like my dog Nate being sick for that little while and all the other great that comes with it. You just kind of, it's the the life of scales. It's like, man, the, the good is going to outweigh the bad as long as you embrace that. Mm, yeah, that level of vulnerability is so important. I can't, I'm sorry that your dog was sick for a week. I can't yeah. imagine. Well, I was so I mad at myself, Lori. <laughs> I was so mad because he loved these uh, treats called bully sticks Oh. And he just loved chewing on him. He's a, he's like a little, he's a dachshund and he loved him and he kept getting sick. And we thought it was all these things. We thought, is, are there pesticides in the lawn? Is there something in the food? And we didn't even think about the bully sticks because we thought bully sticks oh. are just like protein sticks. Well, what's the, what's the harm? And so we're doing all this thing, changing his food, taking him to doctors, putting him on probiotic. And then the next thing I know, I, again, one of those like moments of clarity, I'm like, what's the one thing that hasn't changed? Those damn bully sticks. Second we pulled him away, he never got sick again. I mean, he's gotten a little sick, but like never had any issues, digestive issues. And just because I was like, so like just oblivious to it. I'm like, oh, okay. It's just something he chews on. It's fine, whatever. And then of course, if you Google bully sticks, you'll go down this horrible rabbit hole of how <laughs> they're not, not very good for dogs and germs and all that stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it's sometimes we just have to pull ourselves away from the moment and just do this sort of like 30,000 foot view in our own lives. Mm. And it took me a couple of weeks to figure it out for my dog. But I think we all sort of have to do that every once in a while. Just kind of like, Pull away. Don't always be living in the close-up and zooming in. Mm. Just pull that camera back and take a wide view of things. It's so hard to zoom out, though, when you're in that problem-solving mindset. Oh, yeah. It's so easy to have that perspective later. But at the time, you're like, oh, what's causing this issue? Something yeah. that actually stands out to me about that story is you can't communicate with your dog. You, mm. know? you talk about communication all the time, and, and that was friction there. So, you know, you say that asking great questions is the key to really great relationships. What sort of questions should we be asking? Because it's really easy to point the finger or really easy to ask a leading question. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, I, I always like to, you know, they always say there's no such thing as dumb questions. And I, and I kind of agree with that. I don't think there's anything as a wrong question, but I think it's just the idea of the right question at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, when you're doing a podcast like this or when you're having a, a conversation at work, you're never going to start with a huge, bold proclamation or question. You're going to ease into it. And going back to that piece that I mentioned earlier, the preparation, concentration, moderation, it's sometimes moderation in when to ask that right question. Never ask Mm -hmm. something that is really deep or could be seen as offensive or something so early on. Like it's small talk's okay. I'm not a huge fan of small talk, but small talk is the best way to work your way into that big question. Mm-hmm. Um, and so making sure the other person is comfortable at the moment and then asking that question, it's then it's the right time. And I think a lot of times when you do that, the person will see that maybe if you had asked that question five minutes earlier, it might've been offensive or inopportune, but five minutes later, it's okay because they see it's coming from a right place. It's it's not a malicious question. It's coming with a good heart. Um, so that it's it's. I don't think it's always just a right or wrong question. It's when to ask that question. Mm. And how does somebody learn that? Because that to me seems very complicated. Like, how do you figure out when's the right time to ask specific mm. questions to deepen your relationships? Um, but probably because I ask really deep questions straight up. Like my second question to people will be like, hey, tell me about your childhood trauma. And, oh, wow. Uh, well, maybe, like, maybe not exactly like that. Yeah, but, I was going to say, no wonder lines. you're single. Not that I'm being judgmental <laughs> here. No, I'm no, I'm joking. No, I will say, I think when it comes to that, Lori, I think at that point, it's all about like turning up your empathy radar. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the word empathy was overused during the pandemic. You had people, you <laughs> know, I always felt like it was like the word of the pandemic outside of mask. Like, you know, you have to be an empathetic leader, empathetic person. But in this uh, case, being an empathetic human being really does help you with all those things. Just being mm. the, the idea of just being open to other people and what they may say or how they may react to things and how they're feeling at the moment. If you can just keep that in the back of your mind of just being being empathetic and just being open to other folks that will then help you become a better listener better communicator asking the right questions at the right time and that's important i think we all have to be empathetic i think we all have to be more empathetic even people that are empathetic sometimes they're not empathetic all the time and they've got to pick and choose when they can do that but uh if we can do that especially in the, for the people that are important to our lives, whether it is that partner, whether it's a family member, whether it's a partner at work, it's just always being empathetic and giving them that opportunity to just either just let it all out or vent or something like that. As long as you could be that person. And as long as it's not, it's not in a toxic way where it's going to affect you deep down. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about that. I'm talking about the day-to-day crying that we all experience. If we can be empathetic to other people, I think that'll really enforce the relationship you have with others. Mm, for sure. Yeah, that level of empathy is really important and picking up on those micro behaviors to see mm-hmm. who's open to it. But, you know, as you said, that sort of stuff, it takes time to build. It takes, you know, the 20 years of you interacting with humans to be able to build and then distill into how you help others today. Absolutely. And then with my wife, for example, like there's some days I'm like, what's wrong? Like just looking at her. <laughs> but then there'll be some days where I just don't notice it. But mm. I would say nine out of 10, I'll be like, okay, what's the, what's the matter? What's on your mind? And, uh, and that's just being attuned. You know, maybe those times where I'm missing out, I'm not tuned in. But just st- staying tuned in at the moment to the person that you care about, that that's how you pick up on those cues. 
Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals, and sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full-spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. Something else you speak about a lot and, you know, is in your all throughout your book as well, is listening. So Mm. as much as, you know, we're asking questions and doing the talking, we also need to be really great listeners. And I don't think that's something that's taught. I don't think that's something we necessarily know how to do. How do you help people listen better? Yeah, I mean, I think for people, the easiest way to explain it is you've got to maintain that level of curiosity that we talked about. Because if you're Mm. not curious, you're not going to listen. The way I see it is, if you're ha- you're passively watching something on television, if it's something boring, you're going to check out. You're going to go on your phone. You're just going to just like bit there and just let drone it about. And it, the same goes in real life. If you're not curious about an interaction with another person, you're just going to tune out. You're not going to listen. And a lot of times we're just so busy in our own heads that we're just like, okay, okay, well, let me just, let me just, you just want to, end this conversation before anything comes of it. Um, So if you can maintain that curiosity, that will drive you being a better listener. That will make you an empathetic person. That'll that'll make you more engaging for others. So Mm. to be yourself and to be engaged, that's how you're able to be a better listener. And I know it's not easy. And you talk about it. it's not something they teach in school. It's not touch. It's not something you could just learn from reading my book. I mean, you know, it might help. Uh, but I will say it's just one of those things where you just have to try your best. And there are a lot of times where I'm mad at myself, where I'll meet a new neighbor and I'll just be completely spaced out. And then afterwards, I'll be like, I can't remember that person's name. Who was that person? Oh, it was the person with the red shirt. So, so, so it happens to us. And the one thing is, you just have to avoid those kind of moments when it matters. So when it's that 
conversation with your with your spouse, with your partner, with your boss, with your mother, your father. Those are the moments when you just have to really lock in and be super connected. And then when you want to get to know someone, locked in, super connected. But there's going to be those times of day. I'm sure, Lori, when those cranky mornings when you're getting that coffee, you just don't want to have a conversation. You're not listening to what anyone say. You're just like, give me my Java and I'm done. I'm done with you. It's going to happen and that's perfectly normal. But I think it's just being attuned to that, that when you're not doing it, I think catching yourself not doing it is probably the best way to learn. Like when all of a sudden you, you realize, oh shit, we just spoke for 20 minutes and I don't remember anything about it. Why? Because you weren't listening. And yeah. so learning from those moments when you catch yourself not listening, that's what will prepare you for the next time. Like, God damn, I shouldn't have done that. Let me just, let me just the next time make a mental note of that and just be totally zoned in and zeroed in on this conversation. Yeah, for sure. What kind of questions would you ask yourself when you don't listen? So, you know, during that, you've just noticed in the 20-minute conversation you've zoned out, how would you build that self-awareness to avoid it next time? Yeah, I mean, usually I'll, it'll, be, it'll happen in the moment or right after. Well, I'll just basically say, what the hell's wrong with you, Joe? Like I would literally have like a, like a conversation with myself, like why weren't you paying attention? And I think... S- s- Doing that at certain levels is as healthy. Like if you mm. if you hate yourself and you're disparage yourself, that's not good. But if you can just playfully be like, "Chill, you idiot! Why did you weren't paying attention at all in that moment?" So I think it's okay to have fun with yourself. Uh, I've made a career of, of self deprecating humor. Uh, it's it's <laughs> I think it's endearing to people. So the more you can kind of take a swipe at yourself, the the better you'll probably be in the long run because then people realize you don't take yourself so seriously. Um, so I think it's super important to just have fun with it and not just be so hard on yourself. Just be like, you dumbass, what's wrong with you? You just had a 10-minute conversation with a person you don't even remember. What? So being able to to give yourself grace, you know, we talk about giving each other grace, giving yourself grace, it will probably help you in, as well. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Personally, I find a lot in like the corporate career and also in relation, like romantic relationships, mm-hmm. people don't listen when they perceive they're going to disagree with what's going to be mm-hmm. said or they disagree with what's going and then they just check out. How do you navigate still maintaining that sense of curiosity? Yeah. And that comes down to something that I used to fall in the trap all the time when I was working in radio was you're not listening. You're just hearing for that person to stop talking. And I think that's something we all have done. We all do it every day. Um, and I think when it comes to that, it's just trying to just stay out of that mindset of just being like, okay, I'm going to wait till this person, I'm going to be here, appear to be listening, but I don't really care what that person says. And we just need to catch ourselves while that's happening. Just like, oh, no, just listen for a moment. And then if it's something you disagree with or agree with, then you can add to it. One of the things I tell people to do, if you have difficulty with this, sign up for an improv class. Mm. Improvisation classes are taught all over the world. They're taught on the internet. I'm sure there's an audiobook or book you can get on it. And I learned the importance of communicating with people and making a conversation this sort of alchemy, this chemical that is created between two people. And it only happens when you use terms like yes and. So in long form uh, improvisation, I think uh, Amy Poehler named her book uh, Yes And. And the basis of it is accepting information, the yes, and adding to it. Yes and. And that's how people create improv scenes. So Mm. one person says something, the other person says yes and this. And then the person says yes and this. That's an improv scene. If you take that sort of 
procedure or, or template and put it onto real life, think about how great conversations will be. Like, yes, and this too. Or even if you disagree, you'll be like, yes. Not that yes, you agree, but yes, I'm listening to you. And here's what I have to offer. So those two little words, yes and, as simple as they sound, they make for magical improv, but they also can make for magical moments in real life because you are giving your partner in in improv, it's, it's a scene partner, but if it's a partner in real life, you're giving them the opportunity to provide information and then you are providing information back. And that's... Mm. The, the alchemy, the chemistry, all the good stuff that happens when two people get together and communicate with one another. Yeah, I love that. That's a really, yes, and is a really good framework for people to be able to accept information and mm. then and then provide their input on it as well. I love that you brought up improv. Like you, I always uh, knew I was going to be in TV or movies, always knew I was going to be on screen and improv was my absolute Favorite in drama. Loved making up shit on the spot. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's such a great skill. And that's why a lot of corporations bring in like improv teachers when they do their big company get-togethers because it's so useful for folks yeah. because a lot of these skills, like the ones we've been talking about for the last half hour or so, is a lot of the stuff that m- people don't practice on a regular basis. And when you're doing improv, it's what it's all about. Like mm. the listening and reacting and heightening and exploring all the terms that they use in long-form improvisation it's so important. I had a teacher, his name is Anthony Tamanick, and he's a kooky guy. He's, he, he's known for uh, having the president show on Comedy Central where he did an impression of Donald Trump. And he was my very first improv teacher. And I remember jokingly, he said, I probably shouldn't be teaching improv 101, but that's neither here nor there because I'm not kind of like, I'm not a book guy. I'm more of a real gritty improv guy. And he said, the one thing to keep in mind when you're performing a scene with someone is, this scene is the most important day in the lives of these two people. This is not a scene that's taking place on just an average day. It's not mm. just a run-of-the-mill, check-the-boxes day for a human being. This is the most spectacular day in this person's life. If you think about if you extrapolate that out, it's like a movie. Like, a movie is happening. These characters have lives before and after the film, but the film takes place in the most important moment in these people's lives. If you think about that, when you're having a conversation that's important, if you bring that gravitas to it, that this moment right now, this is the biggest moment in our lives, whether it's a relationship decision, a financial decision, a career decision, if you go in with it with that much weight and be like, man, this is huge right now. This this conversation we're having, this is huge and we have to treat it as such. All of the stuff we've been talking about, the listening, the curiosity, the empathy, all of that comes with it. Because when you're living in such a big moment, all of that will play a major part in making sure that there's a happy ending in that moment. Yeah, bringing that level of intensity to that those important conversations can be super powerful. And I love that. And that, well, not even analogy, that scenario you provided with your improv teacher that said, hey, bring that level of intensity, bring that most important day of the life. You know, a lot of people listening right now, they they may lack confidence. So I work with a mm. lot of people who have gym intimidation, which was, uh, I believe it was coined by Planet Fitness um, as a, it's like gym in- intimidation. Yeah. Um, so it's when you're feeling intimidated by the gym, not necessarily feeling very confident. And I know a lot of the work you do is regarding speaking and listening, but 
obviously you have some really great confidence tips and you have a lot of confidence for being able to be listened by Mm. so many different people. What would you say to people that are struggling with confidence in certain environments? I get this all the time, Lori, and I will tell you that introverts make the best conversationalists Mm. because they don't feel comfortable hogging the spotlight and they're not afraid to ask questions and be Mm. curious. So if you are introverted, think about it like that. Okay, I don't have a quippy anecdote to, to share with you. I don't have any kind of humorous story to share, but hey, tell me about you. What happened with that thing you did? And then all of a sudden, that again, this alchemy, this chemistry, once this person starts to share, maybe you start to come out of your shell a little bit and feel comfortable sharing. So the whole idea that introverts can't be good at communicating is shot down because if you think about the stuff we've been discussing, the fact that if you're listening and you're curious, that has nothing to do with being shy or that has nothing to be introverted. That's just human nature. That's just, yeah. oh, I want to find out about this. Okay, cool. I could find out about it by asking questions. So if you are struggling with this, always keep that in the back of your mind that I know not everyone's going to be as obnoxious as the two of us, Lori, that not everyone's going to be type A personalities, but that doesn't mean that you can't have these magical conversations, these magic moments, just by asking questions and being curious and listening. If you're introverted and don't listen, I can't, I don't know how much I could tell you, but if you are introverted and shy and you're a curious person and you want to listen, you'll be able to communicate with people and make connections with them. Mm, absolutely. I mean, as an extrovert, like I've done the Myers-Briggs thing and I'm like 92% extroverted. Like I gain <laughs> energy from being around humans. Like I can do an ad hoc presentation like that. But what I've had to learn <laughs> is how to let other people shine. Because yeah. the problem with that too is you don't ask questions because you always have the answer or you do, but you also want to share your opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a delicate balance for the, yeah. for the two super type A's. And I think at that point, if just like the introverts is as long as you hone it and be like, okay, I can't change me being a loud mouth, but I can be a loud mouth and still listen. You know, exactly, I can, yeah. you can still do that. It's the old thing that Bill Maher says, you know, we can have two thoughts at once. We can, we can, we can be loud and extroverted and, and boisterous, but we can also listen and give people grace and give them the opportunity to shine as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the people listening to today, you know, whether it's introversion or extroversion, ultimately they're wanting to get fit. They're wanting to be the healthiest versions of Mm. themselves. And a lot of their energy is wrapped up in relationships. So we're almost coming to time now. Is there anything that you feel like you haven't shared today that you really think you should share in terms of like increasing your energy to Mm. get rid of those relationship woes that they have with the humans in their life? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- thanks for asking, Ben, because I've just been writing about this recently about the word busy. Mm. And I feel like the word busy has become a default setting for every human being. What's the first thing when someone asks you, how was your day today, Lori? What do you say? Oh, I was busy. Like it's <laughs> it, it's become this badge of honor that yeah. people, if they don't feel like they're busy, they're not doing anything. And then all of a sudden that carry that on into, okay, I'm busy. I can't do anything else. I can't learn about anything else. And I've actually tried over the last several weeks to exclude that from my already limited vocabulary. Like when someone asked me how my day was, I will reach into my brain and find something else to say other than busy. Because I feel like that word is sort of an albatross around us where it 
doesn't allow us to explore and do different things or try things we would never try because it's so easy to say we're busy. And we become in the society where someone says, oh, I'm busy. Oh, okay, cool. You don't even like, like you, you never have a rebuttal for when someone says, mm. I'm too busy for that. It's sort of this blanket closure of nothing's going to happen in this scenario because I have deemed, I've marked this ground. I put this line in the sand that says, I am busy. <laughs> so long story short, I think we need to avoid, try to avoid words like that that close us off on opportunities because it's just so easy. It's so easy to, when someone asks you for a favor to either move their couch or help them with something in the house to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. The next time that word comes up, into your brain and you're about to utter it out of your mouth, just take a moment and think, wait a minute, am I that busy? You know, I, I tell people because I work in media and uh, I'll, I'll try, I, I produce dozens of podcasts and I'm reaching out to high net worth individuals, people that are quote unquote busy. And the answer I'll get back as a rejection is, oh yeah, unfortunately this person just has no time on their schedule. And I'll immediately say something like, oh, and I won't say this to them, but I'll say this in my brain. But if I was from Vanity Fair and I went to do like a two-week expose with you, or if I was Joe Rogan and I wanted to invite you on to talk to three to for three hours to my 11 million listeners, would you say you're too busy? Mm. Probably not. So the next time you're busy, think about why you're saying that. Because it could be bullshit. It could just be like, you don't want to do that thing. So wouldn't it be better just be honest and be like, Hey, listen, uh, that's just, I don't feel like that's a fit for me. I don't feel comfortable doing that instead of the, I'm too busy because it's really just not going to give you the opportunity to just try new things. Um, so yeah. So if you want to take away from this, uh, guy blattering it about, try to be a better listener, try to be a better human being. But the next time someone asks you to do something, try to avoid the four letter word busy. Yeah. That is such a great takeaway, Joe, because you're giving away your power every time that you say that you're busy. It's not, I'm too busy for that workout. It's I'm mm. choosing to prioritize taking my sick dog to the vet because I don't know what's hurting him right now instead of doing a workout. Yeah. It's not, I'm too busy for making this meal. It's I chose to prioritize working two hours later instead of cooking my meal. It's, yeah, And I'm sure you get this priorities. all the time in the exercise world. Like what yeah. is the number one excuse that people say they don't exercise? Time and money. <laughs> Those and, are the two. <laughs> yeah. And so if you're able to manage your time better, you know, the money thing, you could, you, you could exercise for free. I mean, go exactly, out and take a run. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's, so, you know, throw that, throw that out of the equation. Just the ability to manage your time and give yourself the opportunity to do something with your body to make yourself better, whether it's physical, whether it's meditation. Um, you know, I, I've been trying to, for 2023, just try to introduce more meditation in my everyday. And there are some days I'm like, God damn it, I'm too busy. And I'm, and then I catch myself I'm like, no, you're not. You just have to manage your time better. So uh, <laughs> if you can manage your time better, then you won't be so GD busy all the time. And you'll be able to do things that are great, not just for you to be as, as but holistically when you feel better, the people around you start to feel better. And it's this chain reaction that happens mm. just because you just were able to bend your schedule just a little bit to allow yourself to do this one activity that would be beneficial for you for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. 
I love that. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. We do have a closing question on this podcast. Ooh. Yeah. And that is, if you're 20, if you were sitting here with your 20 year old self, what one sentence of advice would you give him? Hmm. Wow. That is deep. I feel like I'm with Deepak Chopra here. Um, Did I not I ask you say- enough questions, enough small talk first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You warm me up pretty good, Lori. Um, I would say, don't be afraid. I mm. think I was fortunate, and but all, also unfortunate that I was locked into a career that was very time consuming and wild hours. And I was always afraid to make a bold move or try something new because of my life and my lifestyle, my career. So I would probably tell myself, like, don't be afraid of trying different things. Like I didn't try doing sketch and improv till I was almost like 40. And yeah. so I wish looking back at it, I was like, my God, I, I, sh- I should have done that in my twenties. I'd probably be better at it. I wouldn't be so such a shitty improviser, but I would think that if I wasn't afraid to, to try things early on, I think who knows? I mean, I, you know, the old thing about regrets. Some people say, oh, I don't have any regrets. I'm like, we all have regrets. I think it's bullshit when we don't. And sometimes regret is kind of a hard word, but it, in a way it's it's accurate. It's like, oh, okay, I regret that I didn't take more chances early on in my life. So that'd probably be the thing I tell my uh, young. And it was funny, it was, my wife and I were looking at younger pictures of myself. I'm like, my God, I can't believe I ever uh, got laid looking at myself. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. I, you know, not that I'm like anything to write home about today, but man, I feel like I've, age gracefully and look better than I did in my 20s. So thanks. Thanks to that. You know, that is always a funny thing. I look at the very younger crowd today and I'm like, I can't believe I found 20 year old dudes attractive when I was 20 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is really great advice. And I know Gary V love him or hate him. He does talk about that. But when you're in your 20s and I don't don't think that you know, a lot of my podcast listeners are, you know, I think the main demographic, I know the main demographic is 25 to 34 four-year-olds mm-hmm. listening to this. And in your 20s and 30s, he says, try as many things as you can mm. until you figure out that thing that lights you up. Just keep on trying and failing, trying and failing. And I, I think that boldness, and, and it comes back to what you said at the start of the podcast, people are afraid to ask questions because it's conditioned out of them. People are afraid to try new things too. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think you, people are afraid to do that at all ages. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> if you have the ability when you're younger and you probably live with your parents or you probably don't have a career that's so time consuming, like take those chances, take those swings early on when the repercussions or the negativity that could, could come from it would be very minor. It's like, okay, cool. I'll just try something else tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure so many people have just enjoyed and I'm curious about your work. Tell me where or tell everyone where they can find you on social media and where we can buy your book. Yeah, well, I'm. I think the word is I'm very Googleable. So if you Google <laughs> Joe Partivilla, you will see my uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram profiles. I'm at Joe Partivilla, and uh, I post a lot of articles on on LinkedIn, just random thoughts that I have. Twitter and Instagram usually just pictures of my dog. But uh, but yeah, I, I just feel free to reach out if you have any questions for me. Drop a DM, question or anything like that. And my book, Good Listen, available wherever books are sold: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target. Just go type in Good Listen. Then it'll come up. Wonderful. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation today and I'm sure everyone listening will have learned so much, so many things that they can bring into their relationships and therefore gain more energy. For everyone listening at home or in the car or wherever you are today, eat well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining. Uh-huh.